today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. And every time you're around it, or you're in anguish every time you're around a particular person or, or a group of people, and, and you know hanging out with them is just bad for you, separate yourself. Don't continue in it. Don't continue to go there or live there. Separate. Separate yourself in the relationship. Don't keep living in Sodom when you know you shouldn't be living in Sodom. If you know certain groups of people or a location is bad for you, then separate yourself. In today's message from Pastor Dan, he encourages you to not stay in relationships and environments that are bad for you. It's okay to have a healthy distance from what is toxic for you. Pastor Dan explains, yes, it's good to stay faithful to whatever the Lord is calling you to, but if you know something isn't good or is toxic for your health, don't stay. Separate yourself for the good of yourself and for what God has in store for you. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Genesis chapter 14 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Verse 5, you have the, the Rephiim, the Zuzim, and the Emim. Those were all, listen, listen, those were all giants. Like, I mean, literally giants. I'm not saying like they were a big deal. I mean, they were giant. They were a giant race of people that the Bible talks about. These giants that, that dwelt there. They were, they were tribes of giants. In fact, the word Rephiim means giants. Your translation might even say giants. The Rephium were giants. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, taking notes, you could jot that, jot that verse down. We have a description of Og, the king of Bashan. What a great name, Og. The king of Bashan. That's, that's Rephium. That's the same area where he, he's described as of the remnant of Rephium in Deuteronomy. He's one of the giants. And Deuteronomy chapter 3 describes the size, the dimension of his bed so that we can understand just how gigantic Og, the king of Bashan, was. He's one of the Rephium, and it says his bed was made of iron, it was 13 feet long, and it was 6 feet wide. Now, you've heard of a California king-size bed. <laughs> this is a Rephium king-size bed 13 by 6 by the way the name og it means gigantic how do you think his parents came up with his name what should we call him how about gigantic look how big he is he's a remnant of the giants we're told he's a remnant of the rephium the zuzim that are mentioned here they were also giants Uh, elsewhere in the bible they are called the zamzumim because that's what people said when they saw them. Zam, zoom him. Look how big they are. They're huge. Zuzim, that's mentioned here, that, that name means roving creatures. Roving creatures. These giants that just roamed the earth in that area. 
emem. The emem. Uh, emem means terrorizing. And why do you think people called them the emem? Because they were terrorizing. You know, they, you know it was to just see them was terrorizing. The, these were all giants. Goliath, you know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath descended from the Rephaim. He was a remnant of the giants. If you remember when Moses sent the 12 spies into the promised land, and they're in the promised land for 40 days, and they come back, and 10 of the spies have a bad report about the promised land. And what did they say in their bad report? They said, there's giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the children of Israel didn't go into the promised land, in part because there were giants in the land. The Rephaim were in the land. Now here, here, the reason we're told that is because the armies of Chedorlaomer, they came up against the armies of these giants and they just rolled right over them. Like they were just a speed bump in the road, didn't slow their army down at all. They were no match for Chedorlaomer and his army. Now, I want you to remember now the context of the book of Genesis. Moses penned the book of Genesis while they were in the wilderness. Moses penned the book of Genesis while the children of Israel were in the wilderness right after Right after the 12 spies came back and said, there's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the people lifted their voices and they wept to the Lord. And they decided not to go into the promised land because of the giants that were in the land. They were too afraid to go in. They didn't believe God could defeat those giants, so they, they didn't go in because of their, their unbelief. And now here are the children of Israel. They're the original, the original audience to the book of Genesis. Here they are in the wilderness after failing to trust God to go into the promised land. They didn't believe God could defeat those giants that were in the promised land. And here they are reading this story about Chedorlaomer's army. And Chedorlaomer's army defeated the giants. And they're probably thinking as they're reading this, whoa, this guy Chedorlaomer, his army defeated the giants that we're terrified of. I'd hate to to come up against Chedorlaomer's army. He's more powerful than the giants. But here's the lesson. Abram did trust God. Abram did trust God. And Abram defeated Chedorlaomer. Abram defeated the army that defeated the giants. And Abram does it with a really small army. He trusted God. And God gave him the victory. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram, God promised Abram that he would make his name great. And that's what he's doing. In chapter 14, he's making Abram's name great through this battle and through this victory. And he is showing us through Abram now that nothing is too hard for our God. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, it says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies 
to save you. Just as he did for Abram. So you you get the idea here of what's happening now? Man, here you have this army under Chedileamor that is just blowing past the giants. You know, the the same giants, you know, the ancestors to the giants that the children of Israel are afraid of. And then Abram trusts God and defeats Chedileamor. Amazing. So now in verse 6, we have also mentioned the Horites. And we're told that they lived in Mount Seir. These were cave dwellers in the desert mountains, like the Tuscan Raiders in Star Wars. Remember the sand people? That's the Horites, right? Chedileamor crushed them. He crushed them. Look at verse 7. Chedileamor came to Kadesh, it says in verse 7. That's Kadesh Barnea. That's the place that Moses sent the 12 spies from to go in and spy out the land. And the 12 spies came back to Kadesh. And remember, they had fruit. They had the the fruit from the land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, just as God said it was. But there's giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And there's walled cities. It's at Kadesh that they failed to trust God. And here the army of Chedileamor comes to Kadesh and conquered the Amalekites and conquered the Amorites. And the Amalekites and Amorites were both uh, uh, tribes that, that troubled the children of Israel in their wilderness years. While they were in the wilderness, they were you know, constantly dealing with the Amalekites and the Amorites, attacking them. And Chedileamor's army defeated the Amalekites and the Amorites. Like, these are all, man, this guy's more powerful than their enemies. And then finally, verse 8 and 9, you have the battle against the five kings that included Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 8 says, And the, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim against Chedileamor, and against the other three kings that are with Chedileamor, verse 10 says, Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there. The idea is they fell into the tar pits. They fell into the slime and died. And the remainder fled into the mountains. So the five kings that included Sodom and Gomorrah were defeated. Then verse 11 Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They they spoiled the cities. They took the spoils of the city, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 12 tells us, and they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son. Now notice who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Lot was living in Sodom. At this point, I mentioned this last week, but with Lot, we see we see this 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 slow progression into compromise, this slow progression into compromise or a downward progression into compromise. If you remember in the last chapter, Lot lifted his eyes towards Sodom. First, he looked And then he decided to pitch his tent near Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. 
You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. And it gets worse when we get to chapter 19. Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. That means Lot became a leader of the city of Sodom. He's a prominent person in that city. And you can look at the life of Lot and you see that his compromise, it has a history. Compromise and sin always has a history. You can always trace it back to decisions that were made in your life and in my life where I decided to do this and then I decided to do that and then I decided to do that and that's how I ended up where I am. There's always a history to it. There's always a pattern that you can follow to see how you got there. Second Peter chapter 2 tells us that Lot was a righteous man but he was in anguish, it says, over the filthy conduct of the wicked people of Sodom. He was in anguish over the immorality of that city. And it says, and he was tormented by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Lot was righteous. Lot knew right from wrong. Lot knew that Sodom was wicked. He was in anguish living there because of the immorality. But here's the thing. Lot didn't leave. He didn't leave. He didn't move away. In fact, after he's rescued here by Abram, He moves back to Sodom and continues to live there. Lot should have left. Lot should have left Sodom. He should have separated himself from Sodom. And listen, if if you know something is wrong, if you know something is bad for you to be around and you're in anguish every time you do it and every time you're around it or... uh, you're in anguish every time you're around a particular person or a, or a group of people and, and you know hanging out with them is just bad for you, separate yourself. Don't continue in it. Don't continue to go there or live there. Separate. Separate yourself in the relationship. Don't keep living in Sodom when you know you shouldn't be living in Sodom. Lot continued to live in Sodom. So Lot is taken captive by these armies. They carry him away. They depart. He's now a slave as they leave. Verse 13, then one who had, who had escaped from the battle came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshgal and brother of Aner, and they were allies of Abram. So the, a person who escaped comes to tell Abram what happened to Lot. And notice in verse 13, he's described as Abram the Hebrew. This is the first time we see the word Hebrew in the Bible. The word Hebrew, listen, it means one from beyond, one from beyond. The Hebrew language is very descriptive, right? A- Abraham was 
from, from beyond the Euphrates River. He wasn't from there. So they, they called him the Hebrew, the one from, from, from beyond. The name Hebrew shows that Abram was considered an outsider by the Canaanites. He's not from here. He's not one of us. He's a stranger. He's an outsider. You know, Hebrews 11 says Abram lived as a stranger and foreigner and, and, and the land. He was, he was from beyond. You know, for us, we live in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. Right? We should be strangers in this world. We should feel like outsiders. And the way that we live in this world and the way we conduct ourselves in front of other people should show that we're outsiders. We're not, we're not part of this, this world. Our lives should be noticeably different from the way that the world lives. So that people would label us, just like they labeled Abram. You know, whenever you see the word Hebrew in the Old Testament, and someone referred to as a Hebrew, it's, they're not usually, it's usually not them referring to themselves. They're not saying, I'm a Hebrew. It's someone else saying, he's a Hebrew, or they're Hebrews, Right? They're from beyond. They're outsiders. There was something different about the way that they lived that other people could look on and say, they're not from here. They're not our people. They're different. And that's how it should be for us. Others should be able to look on and say, there's something different about the way that person lives. They're not like us. Now watch what happens in verse 14. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit, hot pursuit, as far as, as Dan. Remember, Dan's way up in the northern part of Israel. And Abram was in Hebron, kind of in the central or southern central part of Israel. And he pursues them all the way up to Dan. Abram jumps into action here when he heard the news about his nephew Lot that he had been taken captive. And notice that Abram had an army of 318 trained servants. That is, they're trained for battle. Abram's servants were ready for battle. He he had trained them for battle. Listen, he trained them for battle Before there was a battle, before there was a war, he trained them. Why did he do that? Well, just in case there is a battle. Just in case there is a war someday, he wants to be ready for it. So he had these men trained up, ready to fight at a moment's notice. And I think there's an important lesson in that for us. That we... Always want to be trained and ready for battle. Not physical battle, but spiritual battle. Right? And you, you do the training before the war starts. Before the battle starts. If you wait until the battle's happening, that's too late. We've got to be trained and ready to fight before the battle. Just kind of ready to go at a moment's notice. Right? Like spiritual minutemen. And that's what Abram had. You know, in, a, in Ephesians chapter 6 a verse I know you're probably familiar with. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so we're to put on the armor of God, you know, our spiritual protection, our spiritual armor. And, and we're to be ready. We're to be ready for battle. We should be spiritually armed and ready for battle. And how, how do we do that exactly? Well, we should be trained in the word of God. You, you, should, you should be able to handle the word of God. You know, the sword of the spirit. You should be able to handle the word of God on your own. We should be trained and ready in, in prayer. We should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, especially in the days that we live in. I mean, I, I would say probably uh, for, for all of us with the things that are going on in the world over the last five or six months or whatever it's been, uh, you quickly realized whether you were trained for battle or not, right? Once they, once they shut churches down and you're kind of on your own spiritually, you knew, I knew, you knew just how trained up and ready we were for that. And I would say in the days that we live in, we, we want to be trained, we want to be ready uh, you know, if, since we believe the Bible and we believe what Jesus said about the last days, we really should expect things to get worse over time, not better. We, we will have, you know, temporary reprieves, certainly, but the general trend should be worse. Right. Jesus said it's going to be like birth pains. It's going to be like labor pains and and, and labor pains come more frequently and with greater intensity, the closer you get to the time of delivery, right? And so we, sh- we, should, we should expect a greater frequency. We should expect a greater intensity. And this, we're going through a pretty big labor pain right now in the world. And this is what, the, what doctors would call a transition contraction, right? But at the same time, we shouldn't be surprised by that because Jesus said these things would happen in the world. So we want to be ready for that. We want to be ready. We want to be trained up. Uh, for, for all of that. Abram had 318 servants trained and ready for battle. Long before there was ever a battle. Long before he knew what the battle would be. But Abram knew at some point there's going to be a battle to fight. And so I want to be prepared for it. Some point there's going to be a battle for you to fight and for me to fight. And so we want to be prepared for it. That's just wise to do. And so we're told Abram took his 318 trained men. He pursued the four armies under Chedorlaomer, and he pursued them all the way up to Dan, way in the northern part of Israel. By the way, archaeologists have uncovered a gate at the city of Dan that dates back to the time of Abraham. It's called Abraham's Gate. Again, if you go with us, uh, you'll, you'll get to see that. He asked me how I know, and I say, Bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Genesis. Although some might view Genesis simply as a historical account of genealogies, the undercurrent throughout this book entails a broader understanding of God's nature toward His people. You're introduced to God's care and concern for His creation, how sin stained what God had created, 
and what God intended to do to atone for the sin that overshadowed the world altogether. God's plan included a Savior that would envelop His creation in love and sacrifice that might seem incomprehensible to the average person, but God's ways are higher than anything that we as humans can understand. Yet, He chose to come to our level anyway. That's a Creator God who's invested for the long haul. If anything about today's message has struck a chord with you, we'd like to talk with you. Please give us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. If you're not connected yet with the local church, we highly encourage you to find a church home that will help guide and support you in your growing faith. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Dan will have more to share from the book of Genesis next time, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the